while speaking with my next guest, Deborah Moore, who is a true media veteran, having worked in media for many years. I was able to learn a lot about her journey through the media landscape to where she now hosts a mid-morning lifestyle radio show on Fairchild Radio called Modern Deborah. Deborah Moore described to me how Chinese media is doing, some of the struggles they're experiencing, and some things they need to do in order to keep up with this media slash digital revolution that we're going through currently. I think you'll enjoy this discussion. Deborah is a very unique individual with a very interesting background. Half English, half Chinese. Deborah Moore offered a ton of insight and it was a fun and informative discussion from someone who works in diverse media. Refreshing, considering we live in such a diverse province. Enjoy my conversation with Deborah Moore on Rachel Thaxton Connects. So today I am uh, really thrilled to have Deborah Moore on Rachel Thaxton Connects. Deborah is a media veteran. She has been working in the media space for many years, both on the TV and the radio side of things. And I can't wait to learn more about all of this, as well as Deborah herself and her very interesting history and life. So first of all, I'd like to welcome you to Rachel Thaxton Connects. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. And it's such a nice uh, opportunity to have the tables turned where I'm now being interviewed and not the one interviewing guests. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, people listen to you on air and they know you Well, they think they kind of know who you are as a, as a journalist, as a host. But I think it's kind of interesting to get to know the host a little bit more. So mm. I suppose that's what we're doing today, getting to know you and uh, your your story and, and your work. So let's start off by kind of going back in time a little bit. Born in Singapore, according to your bio, and raised in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me a little bit about this. What brought you to Canada uh, to settle in a, in a media career here versus versus staying in perhaps Hong Kong to continue your career in media there? Uh, well, I'm half English, half Chinese. Uh, my father's English and he was working in Hong Kong and um, met my mother and they settled there. Uh, and then they relocated to Singapore, where I was born, and then went back to Hong Kong again, where I did my uh, primary school and secondary school education when I was in Hong Kong. And also when I started my television career and towards the tail end, my radio career was also started in Hong Kong. And I came to Canada many, many years ago. I've been here 30 years now. I came here because of a relationship and uh, ended up staying. <laughs> We all move because of a job or a relationship. So yours was a relationship. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. So I came here and I, I liked it so much and uh, I ended up staying. And and I guess part of um, uh, the, the reason I liked it, uh, well, there were two major reasons. One, because it, I speak English, so there was no problem settling down. As I'm sure, you know, many immigrants will tell you that settling into a, a new country, there's going to be a language barrier or a cultural barrier. And being half English, I didn't have that problem. So I I feel that I probably settled in a lot faster than everybody else. And the re another reason I liked Canada is because if you come from Asia, you know how incredibly hot it is. Right. It is yes. incredibly hot. And coming to Canada where you have four seasons was just 
so wonderful. It sounds like such a silly thing, but it makes a big difference, I guess, in your quality of life, um, if, if that's what you're looking for. Yes, it's, I think it would be refreshing. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a word for it. I, I have not traveled uh, no. to Hong Kong and or Singapore, and I'd, I'd love to, I uh, hope to in the near future. Mm. My little ones are, are bigger, but um, I can see how Vancouver would be an appealing city to, mm. to live and work. So when you first moved here, did you find it, you found it easy to settle with your language skills? Did you find mm. it easy to find media work? I'm one of the the few lucky ones because I speak English and Cantonese fluently. I was in Canada within six months, I would say. Uh, the local Chinese uh, community had already reached out to me to do um, TV work and radio work. And so I was doing work with them on and off before I officially joined uh, Fairchild. Wow. Okay. So, so tell us about your career path. So how did you, how did you get into the journalism space? Well, I was in a beauty pageant in Hong Kong. I was in the Miss uh, Hong Kong pageant and I won the Miss Teen Award, which is, I think, what the equivalent of Miss Teen here in, in North America. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I won that one. And then I, I I represented Hong Kong in the Miss International pageant in Japan. And um, I won the Miss Friendship there. And uh, when I came back, they the TV station that runs the beauty pageant uh, offered me to go to an audition uh, for TV hosts, and they were doing a bunch of auditions. They were do they were doing auditions for actresses and actors, and um, and somehow they said, "Let's put you in auditioning for hosts." So, because originally I thought, "Oh, okay, I'll just do what everybody else is doing and go and audition for acting jobs." But they said, "No, you know what? We see you as a host." And mm. so it was really funny, and I was a little bewildered, and I thought, oh, "Okay, I'll, I'll go and do the hosting," and and I. I did the audition. I guess I did well because they signed me right away. But I did spend a couple of years thinking, did I make the right choice? And when you're signed with the big TV uh, station, as it was back in the day, where, where they did a lot of production, including uh, uh, TV shows, variety and dramas and et cetera, you actually do end up doing a little bit of it. You have the opportunity to step over uh, and do a little bit of it. And then I realized after doing a few dramas and movies, I actually do prefer hosting. So I guess oh, yeah. the casting people, they saw something that I didn't see in myself at the time. And they were right all along, as were my parents who said, but you're a much better host than an actress, is what my father used to always say. <laughs> and uh, that's how it all started. So it was meant to be. I, I guess so. And I'm and I'm so glad. And and I I I have tried acting and I I I did have a lot of opportunities to do different things, variety shows, TV shows, sitcoms, movies. And, you know, those will always be wonderful experiences. But I, I guess I feel more comfortable as a host. OK, OK. So the Chinese media space, you know, the English media space, and I, I, I know from colleagues and contacts within the Chinese media space here in Vancouver, you know, it's not the best time because, you know, digital, the evolution of digital, and there's been some cutbacks, some layoffs. Um, we recently saw the end of, I think, I believe it was Ming Pao newspaper. Uh, and I'm wondering kind of what your thoughts are on that and where you think kind of media is heading uh, in a time when there are some question marks around kind of where media fits into all of this with digital. 
Oh, that's an excellent question, Rachel, and thank you for asking. I do believe that Chinese media is going through a very, very challenging time at the moment. And it's it's we're at a space and time where we need to take a big leap of faith forward uh, because technology literally has taken over. And I feel that COVID was one of the or the pandemic was one of the major uh, moments in history where everything suddenly sped up and affected many areas of life, especially in in the media as well. And Chinese media, we are already a very small entity in the scale of things in Vancouver. And and we were greatly affected. And so now, and especially for companies that were still playing catch up, because you do, you have to realize that many people thought social media was a fad and was was a thing that was just a trend. No one knew at the time that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram would last as long as they did and actually become fixed or a big part of a company's uh, composition. So I feel that the Chinese medium here or the Chinese media here in in Canada or in Vancouver, we are playing catch up and uh, having to need to make great changes to be able to keep up uh, with the future and where, where everything is going. Yes, I, I think you're you're completely bang on there. I mean, right now, I feel as though the majority of mainstream media, both Chinese and English, now keeping in mind that I have less of a knowledge of the Chinese due to my lack of language skills, um, but there seems to be a real... Um, embrace of the digital, right? The mainstream media has embraced, but it seemed to come a little bit too late. And like you say, it was, uh, if it had come quicker, perhaps maybe, you know, there would be more uh, outlets still around, more jobs still here, but here we are. And I think you're right, the leap of faith and kind of continuing to embrace that digital component, correct? Yes. And I feel that this is very specific to Vancouver having a really hard time, the Chinese media, uh, maybe other areas of North America, I'm not actually sure, but because the rest of Asia are actually at the cutting edge. If you look at uh, South Korea and China, Singapore and all those places, they're they're on the cutting edge of of, uh, technology. And so they're maybe 10 years ahead of us here and Mm -hmm. we're still playing catch up. So the problem is very specific to Vancouver is what I'm talking about because the Chinese media built itself the past 30, 40 years. So that particular audience has also aged and many of much of that audience did not embrace technology. So not, it's not only the companies, but part of the audience group did not embrace technology at the time. So it goes hand in hand. So now it's both, you know, with the companies having to keep up, but also the audience having to find that, oh, their papers are no longer available or their regular method of of accessing various things is now changed. So it's, it's two components going at the same time. That makes sense, because I was going to ask you, I, it surprises me that Chinese media here in Vancouver doesn't, isn't, isn't more successful simply due to the census numbers that we see. We see, you know, really such a diverse city full of uh, those who speak Cantonese, Mandarin. We won't go into into other uh, Mm -hmm. multicultural spaces, but Cantonese and Mandarin. Um, But yes, that's a very, very good point is that many of those those listeners or watchers of, of news on TV um, have aged along with it. So I, I suppose the younger generation are now looking to Chinese uh, social media outlets for their news at times, maybe? 
Yes, yes. And uh, uh, as I said, the younger generation, they're going to be they're going to do fine. They're just going to go along with it. And the rest of us will be playing catch up, including myself. And you very kindly called me a veteran, even myself, uh, for instance, during the pandemic, when we were all sent home, and we had to find new ways to connect with the audience and uh, home offices and home broadcasting systems, a whole new set of challenges uh, were presented to us. And if you were not even somewhat tech savvy, it was really quite a challenge. Yes. And, and, and Deborah, one thing I have to say is that you've done a great job. I mean, you've always, I've always seen you as certainly a radio host and a journalist, but also very much present on social media. So for example, when I'm working with clients on inviting uh, digital personalities or influencers from various diverse audiences, uh, you're one that comes up because you have you have that presence online. So you have embraced it and found a way to kind of really mix your traditional journalism with the digital evolution, so to speak. Thank you, Rachel. I, I, I'm still playing catch up myself, but I do the best I can. And uh, with Facebook and Instagram for myself, which is where most of my audience uh, or my listeners will find me, and those are the mediums that they are currently using, Although, you know, like I said, there are so many more mediums available, uh, especially in Asia, way more platforms available that are not even in use here, or if they are only to uh, a certain sector of the population. Right. Okay. So, Deborah, tell me about your uh, work at Fairchild. So, primarily radio. I know uh, the the morning show, uh, which is, uh, I, I can't understand it. I don't have the language skills. I w- so wish I did. I'm, <laughs> I'm working on my Spanish currently, so I can only do one at a time. Oh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I do see your social media updates and gives me an idea of the kind of content and guests that you have. So, so tell me about your, your show, your content and the work that you do at Fairchild. Um, I host a morning show, a daily morning show. And believe it or not, it's, it's my 28th year this year doing oh. my my radio show. And uh, it's a lifestyle show. I have professionals, uh, doctors, lawyers, horticulturalists, uh, you name it on the show. And uh, more for lifestyle because the show before me is current affairs and the show after me is a music show. So it offers a very nice balance for listeners who are tuning into Chinese radio in the morning. Um, so that's the majority, uh, the the theme of my show. Yes, I noticed some some food, some health, some yeah. lifestyle. Yes. Travel is, is a very popular component. Travel and food, I would say, are the most popular, followed by medical. Anything related to, to health is also very popular. Oh, interesting to know. I am noting this because I, I wouldn't have thought health. Travel, food and health. Okay. Partly, I think health is also to do with the age group of my listeners who are a slightly more mature audience. If they followed me from day one, then they will be the same age as me or a little bit older. So that demographic would definitely be interested in health. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So with your guests, now I know that you have a large variety. Uh, Who would you say your dream guest is for the show? If you could choose someone to have on to interview, do you know who that who that person would be or a couple that you would really love to have uh, interviewed on your radio show? 
my radio show is conducted in Cantonese, so that narrows it down to Cantonese-speaking guests. Yes. And although and although I do do the odd translation uh, occasionally, at the end of the day, it is Chinese radio, and I have to bear that in mind and invite guests who speak uh, Cantonese. So with that said, I would definitely consider Michelle Yeoh, who just won the Best Actress uh, uh, Oscar Academy Award. She speaks English and Cantonese and yeah. had a very uh, rich, fulfilling career in Hong Kong. So she would definitely uh, fit the bill for my show. And I'm sure it would be a really fun interview for sure to have Michelle or Jackie Chan, someone along those lines who, who can speak Cantonese. Very neat. So more of the entertainment celebrity I think so, because the audience would know them. Yes, that makes sense. So when you're hosting, Deborah, you you feel comfortable behind the the microphone. Obviously, you've been doing it a very long time. Uh, Do you consume English language media, both English and Chinese? I'm just wondering if you can identify for us or if you can kind of just think of what comes to mind when I ask you about the differences between English language and Chinese language media here in Vancouver. There are, there are differences. I mean, uh, where I work, we obviously uh, mainly speak Cantonese and Mandarin. I I believe it's 80%, 20%. We are Chinese radio. So everything will be culturally catered to a, a Chinese audience. Having said that, our role in in the whole media space is also to connect the audience with Greater Vancouver. So we will keep that in mind and all our guests and their topics will be coming from a background of living here in Vancouver or in Canada related to Canada so that it that the audience will listen to it and take it away and be able to apply it to their lives while they're living in Canada. Right, right. So balancing the two. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's interesting. And do you have a lot of of PR folks like myself or other marketing or, you know, uh, corporations contacting you, pitching you guests on a regular basis? Or do they hound you like a lot of media outlets (laughs) find or or do you find that, uh, you know, they're they're you know, you're able to keep them at bay? (laughs) I I actually have to keep them at bay because we we are. a commercial radio station, we rely on advertising. Yes. And we have uh, advertisers and clients who obviously uh, pay to be to be having their products or services aired. Having said that, that limits the, the guests. I, I can't sort of willy-nilly talk about any other corporation. I can talk about the work or the person that I don't normally talk about products or restaurant names or anything specific in respect to give respect to our clients who advertise on a, on the station. So because of that, I have to keep most of the people at bay and only speak to professionals about their work. I don't know if, I, if I'm coming across clearly. No, I think that makes sense. And I think there, there, I've spoken with a few media about this. There's a fine line, but in my mind, a clear one as to when something is sponsored content and yes. when, it is, when it is earned. Yes, ex- exactly. Yes. So it's more we're talking about the the work that's offered or uh, the services, less about the the company per se. Okay. Now, um, I always find it, I, I did a little monologue. Uh, it was very short the other day, just about multicultural media here in Vancouver. And I've had feedback from some 
journalists, as well as influencers and digital content creators from the Chinese community, language community, Punjabi, Korean, uh, etc. And the feeling from some is that they are not invited to as many events or given as many opportunities as perhaps an English language um, host, journalist, influencer may get. Some don't feel that way. What are your thoughts on that? I I don't feel that way because I'm not looking looking at it that way. I suppose mm-hmm. so. I don't I don't feel that way. I just take the invitations as they come and choose which ones that work for me, or, or you know, and and go from that point. So I don't look at it from that way. Having said that, I do see that even though it is Vancouver, Greater Vancouver, and we are all supporting promoting uh product and services within greater com- community of Vancouver there is a cultural divide and sometimes you know certain services and products don't necessarily fit with certain cult- cultures because maybe it's a little too general mm-hmm. maybe something something along those lines and sometimes some companies might need to cater to specific cultural groups by changing up their their advertising yes yes it's it's such it's so much more than just translation yes exactly so so there's a there's a fine line most of us you know we we know we're living in canada and we are going along for the greater good but then sometimes certain services and products might need a little tweaking if you want to uh attract more from the different demographics yes Yes. When I, uh, my company is, is smaller now, I take on a limited amount, uh, mm. a number of clients just because I have little ones. Mm. Um, so I, I keep it uh, small because I like to service my clients on my own. But mm. when I had a larger team, I don't know if you remember, but I always, always had at least one um, Cantonese and Mandarin speaking team member mm. um, as a part of my team because it is more than translation. It's recognizing what resonates with the culture. Mm. Um, does this work just because it works for the Vancouver Sun or CTV News does not mean it's going to work for Fairchild or other um, because there are differences in culture. Mm. Um, and so it's not just about the language, like you say, um, which leads me to ask you about myths. Are there any myths or misunderstandings about Vancouver Chinese language media that you feel are present that you'd like to clarify? I, I wouldn't say that there are myths more like differences than than myths. They're not so much myths, more as differences. Whereas for me, for myself, very often I will have people say, oh, you should interview this person, you should interview that person without realizing that I can't because they don't speak Chinese. <laughs> that yes. would be the number one one I get all the time. I have a lot of referrals and references for guests to be on the show. And because they don't speak Chinese, I, I can't have them on the show. Uh, it, it's more like differences than myths, I would say. Okay. Yes. I, I I always, when I'm working on a strategy with clients, I always ask, do you have someone on your team who speaks Mandarin and or Cantonese? And that's always a very important question, especially you know, if the product or service is relevant um, to the to the local Chinese language community or Chinese community. Um, and sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. Mm. But I, I am surprised by uh, the often I hear no, we do not, which surprises me if I was going to start 
a large company um, or lead one, I would certainly make sure uh, in our diverse, I mean, we just, the new census data just came out, I believe it was 2022, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, we must have uh, those who are speaking Mandarin Cantonese on large executive teams to speak on behalf of a company. But um, I I think it's maybe, like you say, playing catch up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. And it's also, I feel every time I travel outside of Canada and I go to to Asia, for instance, and then I come back, I realize how really very, very small our community is. And it's the same audience that you're playing to. And so that also could be a factor to just simply not enough people to support the various services and products. And maybe that is also the reason why there is no specific need to start you know, a division or a particular agency to do uh, or to cater to this market until this population gets a little bit bigger. Maybe that could be one of the reasons. Yes. Yes, it could be. It could be. It's interesting. I I want my little ones to learn. Um, What would you say if I was to ask you, Deborah, Mm. should they learn Cantonese or Mandarin if they were if they had to choose one? Mandarin. Mandarin. Okay. Yes, I, I would say Mandarin. That's the that's the main one. Uh, a lot of people speak it, so I would definitely uh, choose that as a as a second language. And uh, you didn't ask, but I would say yes. Traveling. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Traveling for sure. Uh, you know, uh, immersive traveling with your little ones would be really, really great, uh, so that they can learn more about other cultures and find it easy to adapt. I'm ever, ever so grateful or thankful that I'm half English, half Chinese, so that I can see things from both sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's a massive benefit. I mean, and, and I say yes. to them, you know, because they know Spanish, because they know English, uh, Mandarin is next. And um, I, I think I'm past that point. Um, I don't know if I would have the time. It's so complicated, but maybe um, your bio and what you've been what you've been chatting about, mentioning about being brought up in a family that you know practices both Chinese and Western cultures. So, so you kind of you know had a mix of the Canadian lifestyle or the North American lifestyle. While also maintaining that that Chinese heritage, which I think is really special and and has surely has benefited you in yes. your career. Um, can you tell me more about this and just? Oh yes, I'm very busy. I <laughs> we joke in the family how very busy how busy we are because we will do Christmas and New Year, and then there you go, we'll be all dressed up for Chinese New Year, and then of course I have to talk to my English family about Thanksgiving, which is a Canadian oh, thing, lovely. and they don't have that and I said oh yes we have something called Thanksgiving so now I'm doing English Chinese and Canadian all at the same time and it's it's keeping me very busy but in a good way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's I it's it's unique Deborah because yes, it is I, I I don't speak to that many I, I mean I have a, a handful of very good uh local friends who speak pr- their mother tongue is either Cantonese or Mandarin um but very few of them have had the experience you've had so so it's, it's uh, really funny because uh in my family they will say that I'm the token Canadian uh, and and uh and when I started out, I guess when I was younger, I still had very much a, a prominent English accent. And now I speak Canadian. And then when I go back and spend time with my family in England, I come back and my Canadian friends are like, where's the accent from? What happened? 
happened. I just yes. spent a little bit of time with my family and I come back and I'm <laughs> all of a sudden I speak, you know, with an English accent again. It's just so funny. I, I love the diversity of, of life as it is presented to me with my particular family situation. I just love it. Do you ever find yourself uh, kind of speaking you know, going back and forth, oh, oh, oh mixing up, you know, because you know the two languages. And so you're kind of speaking them both to different, different people, different audiences, friends. Oh, yes. I do it every day, even on my radio show. It's, oh, it's, do you? Yes. Every day I'll be saying something. And it's funny how certain words uh, really make sense only in English and certain phrases perhaps only make sense in Chinese. And my brain will automatically switch. And then I will need to immediately on the spot trans and translate because like I said, it's, it's Chinese radio. And if I speak English, I have to immediately translate. But it's to the point now where I'm so automatic, you know, English, Chinese, English, Chinese, back and forth. It's truly bilingual. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that uh, language skills and like you say, immersion uh, mm. is the key. And it uh, allows us, even if we do have to make those little uh, blenders of, you know, putting in uh, a word or two <laughs> here or there, yes. uh, the benefit far outweighs that. Um, so journalism clearly plays, in my opinion, I'm sure yours as well, a vital role in society. I think it's just mm. so, so very important. Um, mm. But digital uh, as well, I mean, we, we must adapt and mm. where people are consuming and, and gathering information uh, we must must be. Mm. Um, does it add pressure to you? Is that a, it's I mean, I find just even this podcast is a lot of work. So I would imagine kind of staying in the digital space on top of your journalism work is a lot for you. I, I, it, it is a, it is a lot of work and because it's ever evolving and ever changing and progressing, I find, uh, like I said, you have to keep up. And I, I, I speak to a lot of my friends, my contemporaries who are within my same age group. And there's an understanding that you have to be proficient at least 50, 60%. If you're not 50, 60% proficient in technology and the various platforms, you will really be quite behind. If you're 70, 80, 90, that's that's brilliant. But if not, you know, don't make yourself lower than 50%. And I say this because Asia, they're they're at the cutting edge of technology, as well as is North America and other parts of the world. And now, you know, certain parts of Asia is cashless already. They've been, they've been cashless a society for years, for a couple of years already. Everything is by the phone and doing everything on your phone and paying this and the other, including your taxes. And I do worry for the older generation as society and business businesses all switch over and there will be a certain demographic who have not who have not made the effort to catch up they're going to get left behind or left out. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to I mean surely you can take classes and that would help but like you say I think with languages as with languages it is immersion in in being on the networks, communicating mm. on them and engaging on them and kind of learning how they best grow and how you best engage on them. What's, mm. what's your favorite social media platform, Deborah? There are so many, but I stick to the main two, uh, Facebook, because a lot of my Chinese audience, uh, due to their age demographic, perhaps they like to use Facebook. So I I am on Facebook for my audience and then Instagram, because that's the one that's more diverse. So I use those two uh, mainly. Yes. Instagram seems to be 
it's it seems to be one that's going to be around for a while i think it's a mm-hmm. favorite of many that i speak with and mm-hmm. it's a favorite of mine i love it i also love twitter but um instagram is a favorite mm-hmm. tell me about you have a instagram page with a with two uh, influencer friends who I believe are foodies, <laughs> three gourmigos. Yes. Can you tell me briefly about that? Yeah. So um, uh, we noticed maybe 10 years ago or less. So the same few of us were being invited to events and we would see each other at these events and we would talk about you know, our experiences at these events, at these at these foodie events, and we would have a different take on it. And uh, it got to the point where we say, we'll see you at the next one. We'll see you at the next one. And then it got to the point where let's go together <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to the next one. And uh, I feel the three of us um, and the other two are Colin Wu from uh, YVR Travels and William Ho, who hosts the morning show on Fairchild Radio. We are also of a certain age demographic that appeal to a, a certain uh, age. I, I think we're the oldest foodies on the block. <laughs> the you don't three. seem that way. So that's a surprise <laughs> to me, but... <laughs> I think we're the oldest foodies on the block. And so um, I think we bring a, a slightly different perspective. And so very often it's the three of us or we go out two on two. Well, it looks like you're having fun. I'm on your page right now. And <laughs> I, I mean, my goodness, there's there's some delicious eats. You're everywhere you can imagine in the city uh, trying. Um, oh, wow. Delicious. Yes. You must check out, in, in addition to Deborah Moore's uh, Facebook and Instagram profile, the Three Gourmigos, G-O-U-R, Migos, um, because there are some some wonderful foodie uh, adventures that they're having there. So it's, uh, it's actually so. really funny because I'm sure William and Colin will be blinking and sneezing as I'm speaking about them right now. But very <sighs> often when we go to these events, I will try and uh, eat the food and sample and taste test the food. But I'm actually a notoriously small eater. And I'm so glad I have my two foodie brothers with me because they help polish it all off. <laughs> yes, you can just have your little taste. <laughs> Works perfectly. It works perfectly, yes. <laughs> so with all the years in media, uh, mm. Deborah, you've, you've obviously accomplished so much. Uh, and for many, many reasons, uh, appear natural, uh, but but put a lot of work into it, clearly. Is there anything that you would like to accomplish that you have not already uh, in the media space? Um, I've been looking at, at the media space, as I'm sure we all are. And I noticed that... Uh, Traveling and lifestyle seems to be very popular. It's what everybody's interested in, but more on a personal level, whereas at the moment what I'm working on is uh, from a professional level. So I suppose I could try exploring uh, presenting uh, things from a more personal perspective using either, you know, the Instagram platform or the YouTube platform. Um, We'll we'll see how that goes. I am am private. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I said, a bit of a dinosaur in the industry because I'm so behind. I feel that that's a whole new skill set, learning how to use YouTube and, and all that. I, I hear it's a whole new skill set. Well, I'd like to see you with a block. 
Someone could set up your, your back end and, and you could just do the, you know, all of the experiences, the, you already have the photos, you cl- clearly have the journalism skills to gather the information. <laughs> so if you ever do launch a blog, please let me know so that I can have a look. I think that would be a perfect fit for you. I feel that there's a business opportunity right there for people. I mention it all the time. People who don't know how to get onto these things or set up, you know, the more technical side of things. If someone's there to do it for you uh, at a fee, you know, I'm sure a lot of more people would be trying to do these things. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> I work with a couple of nonprofit organizations that that specialize in uh helping new Canadians and, and just really, especially those who don't have English language skills and just, mm. you know, uh, help aiding them in, in various parts of, of becoming, you know, a Canadian resident and eventually citizen. Um, and the reason that I reference that is I'm wondering, uh, if there are, I always end every conversation with asking my guests one or two of their favorite local nonprofit organizations. Mm. Um, and so I'm going to ask you that. What are what are your favorite local nonprofits that you that are close to your heart? Well, thanks for asking. I am one of those that when I go out and about on my daily business, shopping, etc., I will click the button. Do you want to add two dollars, four dollars, five dollars, whatever it is uh, towards various local charities? I do do that. And I actually do uh, tell my audience members, you know, if in lieu of writing out a check for a certain amount of money for whatever reason, if you're having difficulty, that is a no brainer. And it is the easiest way to donate and help society. So I do do that on a regular basis. I will click that extra button um, to donate. Having said that, I am also a big fan of the, um, or not, not not a big fan, that's not the right word. I do believe in supporting the uh, SPCA. I'm a big animal lover yes. and I feel that you know, they need a lot of help and support. And I know that during the pandemic, they clear people cleared out the, the the SPCA. And then when the pandemic was over, there was a surge, it was an uptick in families returning the pets. And I do have pet experts on my radio show and they had already predicted that. And it was, mm. it was, uh, it was like, oh my goodness, let's hope it doesn't come true. And, and actually it did. There was an uptick with the homes returning pets because they were able to now go out or, or they were busier and doing things. So very sad. So I do hope that people will support the um, SPCA. And the second one is the food bank because yes. families in Canada are uh, need help and they need food. And I think these are the two ones if people would like to support, I think that would be great. I think those are both wonderful. They're both timely. I'm so glad you brought them both up. The food bank, I mean, groceries prices are out of this world. What you say about the pandemic and animals, uh, you know, animals are not toys. They are not lifelong commitments. So we Mm -hmm. have to remind ourselves that if we are Mm -hmm. going to adopt. Um, So thank you for bringing those both up. They are both fantastic. BC, SPCA and the Vancouver Food Bank. Uh, Thank you, Deborah, for, for mentioning those. They're both wonderful um, ones to highlight. So thank you. And uh, I mean, I could ask you many, many questions. Uh, I'd love to have you on again at some point and continue this conversation. But I would love to thank you just for taking the time out of your busy schedule as an accomplished journalist and 
digital personality and just <laughs> overall wonderful person. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Deborah. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. This was lots of fun. It was a great opportunity for me to put my thinking cap on and think about things from a very different uh, perspective as opposed to me always asking other people similar <laughs> questions. So thank you so much. It was really lots of fun. Well, next time I'll make the questions a little bit tougher. <laughs> and, then I'm gonna, and I'm going to switch it around and ask you back. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I won't. <laughs> Thanks again, Deborah. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You're listening to Rachel Sexton Connects.